If you're a health entrepreneur, coach, or practitioner that wants to turn your expertise into a high six or seven figure virtual business with less stress, so you can impact more people at a deeper level while making more money and enjoying a greater quality of life in the process, then the Health Printer Podcast is for you. I'm your host, Uriel Kame. I'm a former pro athlete, leading health expert, New York Times bestselling author, and the founder of Health Printer, where I help experts just like you create and fill high-end virtual coaching programs that create dream come true results for your clients. Now, for a free and in-depth training on how to do just that without manual prospecting, one-on-one coaching, or having to spend years building your online following, head on over to healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash training and jump on to our seven-figure health business blueprint training today. And now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome back to the show. Yuri here and hope you're doing great. Hope you're having a great day. I think it's about to get a little bit better. Uh, we've got a great guest on today. Her name is Ricky Heller. And this is going to be a fun, uh, a fun interview because she's going to share some really, really cool stuff about removing excuses and just doing what you have to do to get on people's radars or to just get stuff done. And the title of this episode is what Ricky did to get on, on uh, excuse me, uh, I almost lost my voice, Ellen DeGeneres' radar. And that's something that is pretty tough to do. I mean, Ellen DeGeneres is a pretty big deal. So you're going to discover what Ricky did from a guerrilla marketing tactic. Like this was like guerrilla marketing 101. It's such a great lesson. And whether, whether or not you want to get on, on Ellen's radar or anybody else's radar, this is such a good lesson. And you'll be surprised at how simple this is. And I'll tell you right now, the reason most people don't do this is because they have this, this inherent human built-in hardwiring, which says, oh my God, what if this person doesn't like me? And you're going to see how Ricky overcame that. I think it's going to be super, super powerful for you. So just a really quick background on who Ricky Heller is. She's a holistic nutritionist, an author, recipe creator, and an educator. Um, her, her world was turned upside down when health issues forced her to cut out gluten, sugar, eggs, and dairy in 2009. And rather than give up work as a professional baker, which she was, she went and studied holistic nutrition and recreated all of her favorite desserts and baked goods in healthier forms. Today, she shares recipes and information through her blog, rickyheller.com, her online programs, and individual coaching for people on restricted diets. She's also the author of two best-selling cookbooks, Naturally Sweets, Gluten-Free, and Living Candida-Free, and was a nominee in 2016 um, for a Canadian Holistic Nutrition Award. And she lives just outside Toronto, so it's always a great uh, great honor to have more Canadians on the show, so I'm super proud of that. And she was also featured and recommended on Ellen's website. So she's going to share exactly how that all happened, and she's been featured in a bunch of other media. So anyway, she's going to share her secret sauce here. I think you'll really enjoy this. So without any further ado, let's welcome Ricky Heller onto the show. Hey, Ricky. Welcome to the Healthpreneur Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, you are very welcome, and thank you for being here. We're going to have a lot of fun today, guys. If you're listening in, obviously, if you're listening to me talk, you're obviously listening. Um, Ricky is an awesome, awesome person doing some great stuff in the holistic nutrition space, as we've mentioned before. But I want to 
we're going to kind of talk about the journey a little bit in a few moments, but can you give our listeners, uh, you know, like the abbreviated version of, because you, you mentioned to me that you kind of got started in the space a little bit later in life. And, and what, how did that happen? Like, what was the, uh, the initial moments where you made that distinction or that, that decision to do this? And then really quickly, how did you get from there to where you are now? Yeah, it was a real process, I have to say. So I come from a background of teaching. I taught at a college for 27 years. and But my whole life, I've been immersed in food in one way or another. So I come from a family of bakers, and I was always baking. And so um, even though I was teaching full-time, I think food and, and working with food was always kind of on the back burner, so to speak. And so I always had something else going on while I was teaching. I didn't even think of it as this kind of work really. But uh, just as an example, when I was um, newly married, I would send baked goods to my husband's office with him because nice. I just baked all the time. And of course I didn't want them at home because I'd eat them all. Sure <laughs> and, <made> so, happy. <laughs> and it made his workers happy. And one day after about a year, he came home and he said, uh, you know, my colleague, I don't even remember name Tracy. I'll say my colleague Tracy wants to know if you'll cater her wedding. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like I had no idea what I would do or how I would do it or what did I had no idea, but I just said yes, because I knew I loved to bake and I was thrilled that somebody wanted to hire me. So little things like that would happen over the years. But, um, eventually what really made the shift for me was I was writing a food blog just for fun. It was, it started as kind of like a diary and I would share, you know, after I graduated from CSNN, Canadian school of natural nutrition, where I studied holistic nutrition, me too. I did this just, just as, Oh, did you? Great. Yeah. It's, it was such a great school. Mm -hmm. Um, I was doing that just for fun. And then I was diagnosed with candida overgrowth. And of course my diet had to radically change. So suddenly this food blog that dealt a lot with baked goods and sweets and things became a candida food blog because that was all I could eat. And what I found was my audience actually increased exponentially. Um, when I, I was basically niching down and didn't realize it, right. I was suddenly so focused on candida. Sure. And so from there, it was really just like happenstance. I, I, um, I realized that I was, this is what I was doing. And I had a lot of people over, over like two years start asking me for help and advice and things. And then, um, well, I can tell you the real, the real moment where I didn't even realize it, but it, it kind of became a business. So, um, this is kind of a tangential story, but it does all fit together. I was just newly on Twitter. And one day I noticed that Ellen DeGeneres was following me on Twitter. Hmm. And it, and I'm assuming now, you know, at the time she was vegan. I don't know if she even still is vegan. And she had just gone sugar-free. And of course I was sugar-free. So she, anyway, I, I see this and literally something just clicked. And it was like I was back in my teenage mentality where I started tweeting at Ellen literally every minute, one tweet a minute. And, and I was sitting at my, I remember this so well, because I didn't even have like a, a, a smartphone or anything at the time. I was sitting at my desktop and just tweeting and tweeting. And then I'd run to the bathroom and then I'd tweet and tweet and tweet. And, um, at one point I thought, Hey, why don't I turn on the Ellen show? And then I can make references to what's happening on the show. And I did this from like 9am till about 9pm. Seriously. I sat at my desk. And, you know, it was just fun. I was kind of taken over by the spirit of, and I kept tweeting that I, I had this great book that I had just self-published, which was all vegan, sugar-free treats. And anyway, about two weeks later, I noticed um, when I was looking at my blog stats, you know, to see who came to your blog and how many hits you got and whatnot, I noticed a whole bunch of hits from Warner Brothers, which I had no idea what that would be. And then when I went to check, it was Ellen's 
website and she had recommended my self-published cookbook on her website (laughs) and i just i i can remember like literally i stood in my office i was shaking for about 10 minutes i couldn't believe it and then i called my husband i called my friends whatever but i think that was a turning point for me because i was able to you know as anybody who knows about getting uh, a reference on a big person's site it didn't result in any book sales but what that did do was allow me to leverage that and i was able to acquire a literary agent to get that book republished as a conventionally published book um, which was called naturally sweet and gluten free and then again because i was writing about candida and whatnot while uh, while i was actually writing the draft of that book um, another publisher who didn't even know i had an agent contacted me to say would you like to write a book about candida <clears throat> excuse me and and that was really the book i wanted to write in the first place so i ended up in effect writing working on two books at the same time which i would not recommend to anybody ever um it almost killed me <clears throat> excuse me but at at the point that the first book came out i it, it suddenly hit me you know i need to adopt a more professional demeanor online it's not just a personal little blog anymore i want this to be what i do and that's when I made a conscious decision to rebrand. I changed the name of the blog. I started um, thinking about what else I could do besides writing recipes and books at that point. That's awesome. And it's so, it's so true too, because like it, it's, it's, a, it's a mindset shift, taking it from a hobby to a profession, right? It's like, this is what I kind of like to do here and there versus like, this is my livelihood. And as soon as you make that distinction, it's like everything changes, and that's pretty awesome that you're able to, to make that shift. One of the, so yeah, I, 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 really... I wouldn't say I made it that fast, to be to be honest. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> it wasn't instantaneous. I'm still working on it, but yeah, that was when the moment the start the shift started. Let's sure. say. <laughs> so the the tweeting to Ellen, or so was it like direct tweeting to her, or just like around her topics and her show and stuff. No, direct tweets, because at that point, I don't know if anybody follows Ellen, but I mean, I think it was fairly new. We're, we're talking like, I think it was 2010. Um, she was, I don't know how new she was to Twitter, but she used to, she used to sort of brag that her tweets were her own. Mm-hmm. I remember her tagline. She said, my tweets are my own and they're magnificent or something like that, which was a, a, a line from um, LA story. Uh, I think it was, she was making, she was making reference to that line in LA story where Sarah Jessica Parker is talking about her boobs being real. Right. So she said, my, my tweets are real and they're mine and they're magnificent or something like that. So in effect, if that was true, she was seeing them because I was, I was tagging her on every tweet. So at some point she was getting inundated with tweets from me. And the funny thing was during, as the day went on, I started noticing other vegan cookbook authors tweeting Ellen because <laughs> I guess people saw me tweeting out hundreds and hundreds of tweets and they thought oh that's a good idea so it was really hilarious but I, I'm assuming because I of course she's never contacted me or anything I'm assuming she just saw them at some point when she was looking at her feed and she saw all these tweets coming from the same person about her book and how I have vegan sugar-free treats and you know and, and then I was making jokes about the guests on the show at times and I, it was it was just yeah, I was just not something. It was like I was possessed that day. Seriously, um, such, I mean, there's there's such a huge lesson there. Uh, the power of persistence. Yeah, the, I think what you demonstrated there was something that I would say almost everybody lacks, including myself. A lot of times, is just this dog. Pers- it's just like you get to the point where you think, okay, I don't want to be annoying. Are they going to get pissed off at me? Like, what was the thinking process as you're tweeting, like, let's say 10 plus times a day to Ellen? Like, what is what's going on in your mind as you're going through that? 
Um, you know what? It's interesting. I, it didn't occur to me that I would be annoying because she, I, I thought they were also, if I say so myself, they were really funny tweets. Mm-hmm. So I know she has a great sense of humor. I knew she, that, that she was talking a lot about being vegan and, and going sugar free and wanting help around that. And so in a way, this was something I was offering her. This is a book. And I, I kept saying, I'd love to come on your show and, and, and uh, give these treats to you. Um, but when I look back, you know, what? It's, I think what hits me the most about it is if I had stopped to actually think about what I was doing, because I was, like I said, I was just suddenly, I thought, oh, that would be a fun thing to do. And it was like, I was a teenager again, not, not even thinking about the consequences, because if I had stopped to think about it, I would have thought exactly what you just said. It's Ellen, for God's sake, you know, who am I to tweet Ellen? And of course she's not going to see this. and, And I just would never have done it. And so I was actually doing it more for me in a way, in a weird way. It was, I was having fun with it. I, it was just something that I thought of doing and I thought I'm going to be so crazy and silly today. And that's how I was as a kid. And I, I felt like I had really lost a lot of that as I got older. And, and for some reason this day, that spirit moved me again and I just went with it. That's and cool. I think if I hadn't done that, I def- if I had, like seriously, if I had stopped to think about it for even 30 seconds, I probably would have just stopped and given up and not even continued. But I just thought I'm having fun. So as long as I was having fun, I kept doing it. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I think like what you mentioned of, of getting out of your head, uh, yep. or not even allowing you to get there in the first place is probably a really important part too because I can relate to this thinking, well, am I going to be annoying if I message this person too often or whatever? But you know, when, it's funny because when you speak to successful people, one of the things that they really admire is persistence, right? Mm-hmm. So when, they're, when, when someone, a lot of times when we email someone or message someone or tweet someone, uh, sometimes they don't respond to us as a test. Like, does this person even have the wherewithal to follow up, you know, just as a, as a filtering mechanism? And so sometimes people don't hear a response and they give up. And in your case, you just kept going and going and going. And I think it's such a great example of top of mind, like when you're top of mind or tip of tongue. And so obviously she was thinking sugar-free, maybe candida. And then obviously you're the first thing that comes to mind. And that's such a great example of the power of just just doing your thing, like not overthinking it, not using, letting that mind, little, little, little mind frick get in the way. That's yeah. such a really cool story. Oh, great. And you know, the, of course, the funny thing is if I now, like since then, I've had thoughts about deliberately trying to contact someone who I think is a you know, big guru in business or somebody who I admire. And of course, I've, I've had second thoughts about it, right? Because I, I've now it's become something that I'm consciously trying to do. Yeah. So I think you're right. Being able to get out of your head, that's something for sure that uh, has, has served me well over the years when I can do it. Yeah, totally. So we're talking before we started recording about some of the, the journey that you've been on in terms of your own growth being an entrepreneur. What are, what are just like one or two big lessons you've learned about yourself or how to learn about business since you started uh, several years ago? Um, you know, it, I don't know if this is a lesson, but I did, I never realized that I think I actually have always kind of been an entrepreneur, but just didn't realize it. Um, because now when I look back, like I said, I've always had some kind of, I don't I hate this term, but like side hustle going on uh-huh. where in my mind it was like, Oh, I just need extra money from teaching. Teaching is great and secure, but it's not, I wish I had more kind of thing, but even just the concept of always wanting more and wanting to further yourself and do more with, and, and use your potential further, um, than what I was doing in my day job. And so I would start these little businesses and that's really what they were, but I didn't think of them at the time, right? Like the catering 
or um, you know, at one point I was doing tutoring on the side because I was an I was an English teacher at college, um, and so. I guess that was just something I've learned about myself because I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. And when I first decided that I was going to leave my job and do this full time, I was really, uh, you know, struck by self doubt and lack of confidence and all those things feeling that I don't know if I can do this. I'm not, I'm so not entrepreneurial, but now that I've learned so much more about what some of the traits of entrepreneurs are, I think, yeah, I actually was kind of entrepreneurial. So that was, that was a, a big aha for me. And, and then the other thing for me, which was huge, is you absolutely have to embrace failure, um, which, you know, growing up, especially as a teacher and as a, as a, you know, I was always a keener as a student, I was an absolute type A perfectionist. And I know now that really held me back a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's probably part of the reason why it took me so long to do what I'm doing, because I was always afraid of not being perfect. And if I couldn't get it right the first time, I didn't want to do it. Or I was too insecure to try it if I couldn't get it right the first time. And so uh, what I'm really trying to do now is like just totally embrace failure. I think you need to be able to fail with ease yeah. <laughs> to be a successful entrepreneur. And that's such a great point. And, and that's the irony is that a lot of high achieving entrepreneurs are that type A perfectionist. Mm. And I mean, I don't think a lot of them or a lot of us have that mindset out of the gate where it's like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to fail and it's all good because the faster I fail, the more I learn, the more I can grow. It's almost yeah. like you have to go through the pains of, of getting to this point where like, you know what? All right, maybe everything's not going to be perfect. I'm just going to fail. But it's tough because there is that resistance initially because it's like we're wired to be like, it's got to be done right. It's got to be perfect. I can do this better than anyone else. And yeah. then and when it doesn't go right, it's very deflating a lot of times. Yeah. So I, I can certainly relate to that. I know a lot of people we've had on the show can relate to that as well as probably most of our listeners because we're pretty much all high achievers wanting to grow and, and do more and be more. And so it's just it's, it's, it's interesting, these, these dichotomies and these kind of contrasting forces that we play with on a day-to-day basis. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I think it's hard, too, when, you know, so many, if, if it's true, like in my case, pretty much everybody who was in my life before I did this is not an entrepreneur or even just your well-meaning family members, right? They see the failure and that's all they see and they think okay this is never going to work and they try to talk you out of it Mm -hmm. and so i've actually learned to not discuss my business with my family and friends anymore um because to them you know and certainly this is the way i used to think failure means that's it it's over you failed whereas now i I try to approach it as okay what can i learn from this and okay next Yeah, that's such a good point. We speak with so many health coaches and and experts on a week-to-week basis. And one of the biggest objections they have about, you know, enrolling in one of our workshops or programs is they need to talk to their spouse. And I understand that because obviously you're you're part of a relationship and there's, you know, you want to make decisions together. But I under I what I realized uh, very recently was that I've never asked my wife for her permission for me to invest in anything business related. Yep. And, and I, I, neither have I. Yeah. I'm like, not what? my wife. <laughs> yeah. Like your, your business and your personal life have nothing. I mean, they're, they're very closely related, but quite honestly, if I invest, I remember the first mastermind I invested in was $18,000 of money. I didn't have, wow. I didn't even talk to my girlfriend at the time. It was not my wife. Cause I know, I knew I had to do that and I knew I would make it work no matter what. 
And what I've found is that a lot of times when people think they have to, like they're letting someone else decide for them, there's a few things happening. Either they don't believe in themselves, that they don't have the confidence to do this and really make it work, or they've just simply lost their power. They're like, listen, I don't have control of my life. I'm gonna let someone else make my decisions. And I think it's a cop-out. So yeah, I just, I love the fact that you brought that up because Again, like we as entrepreneurs are the leaders of our families, of our businesses, of the people we serve, and we have to make the decisions. We can't leave it up to someone else to make those decisions for us. Absolutely. I mean, I've discussed it with my husband, but it's, and, and, you know, he's so amazing. He, he would never think to say to me, you can't do that. Like it's just not in his nature, but I, I would still, because this is a partnership and, and we're building a life together. I want him to be aware, but it, it wasn't, it's more just for that. But you also brought up a good point that, um, Oh gosh, I've lost my train of thought. Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to mention something that you were talking about just now. Oh, well, we'll come back to me. (laughs) (laughs) So talking about mindset for a second, being a teacher and Mm -hmm. having, you know, done that in the traditional sense, I guess. Yep. Because a lot of people we speak to here, obviously, are entrepreneurs. I believe there's a very strong difference in the way our minds work um, and maybe our outlook on life and so forth. From your experience and maybe being in the trenches, working with teachers, and not that they're you know lower people or bad people, but what have you found to be maybe some of like the, the one or two big mindset differences between teachers who are happy to just kind of do the minimum and get get by uh, yep. and take their two months off for summer versus entrepreneurs who are willing to step out on the edge and have the courage to go after their dreams? Well, I, I think that's part of the reason why I felt I had to leave, quite honestly. So I was at the college for, like I said, 27 years. And I had colleagues who taught the exact same material for 27 years. Um, and I was always like trying to create new programs and new course, I'm calling it programs, but courses, they're programs now online, but, um, you know, a new material because I would just get bored. I would be bored to death repeating that same information over and over. But there was a certain level of complacency and I don't know if they were just jaded or what, but people just, there was no, um, self motivation to learn more, do more, get better, change. If what you were doing was accepted, then you never did any more than that. Mm. And I'm not saying that was everyone, but there were, it, it was just endemic because I think that's part of what the system engenders in people. Like if you are given, you're given your little raise every year and you, you know, once you have, it's not called seniority in the colleges, it, 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 you're just permanent staff, but it takes about two years for you to get that permanent status. But once you're permanent like that, um, really it takes an awful lot for a teacher to be fired, for a college professor to be fired. So you have security that honestly is almost unshakable. And so I think for a lot of people that creates complacency. Hmm. Um, and for me, it just, it just created the itch to leave. Like I, I, I remember plotting out how long it would take me to be able to leave. And, um, I just couldn't stand doing the same thing over and over. Um, so for me, that was a big, a big difference. And, and again, I think there's no um, merit uh, acknowledgement. So, for instance, if you were the best teacher or you were the worst teacher, maybe your students would talk about you differently. But in terms of the rewards from the administration, financial rewards, status in the college, absolutely the same. It didn't matter. Hmm. So, yeah. 
So for me, it was like, I could do, I believe I can do better than this. And if I want my reward, whether it's financial or, um, you know, appreciation or, you know, some kind of testimonial on my site, whatever the reward is, I want it to be commensurate with the work I'm doing, the level of, and the quality of the work I'm doing. So I don't want to be, you know, I wouldn't expect to be paid the same amount if I were not doing what I felt was an excellent job and what my clients felt was an excellent job. Yeah. But there, it, it, it almost didn't matter. I hate to say it. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we operate in a results economy where if we produce great results, we should be compensated, fulfillment financially, however you want to define that uh, accordingly. Yeah. And I, I don't think a lot of people operate in that same world. But as an aside, did you, do you know the number one reason for aviation accidents? No. It's complacency. It's oh. human error, obviously, right? So pilot error. But the reason a lot of pilots make errors, and the reason I know this is because I got my private pilot's license like five years ago. So I, I love yep. flying. And I remember reading about this. The number one reason planes crash is because of complacency. Is mm. pilots get to the point where they're like, I know this. I don't have to do this checklist, whatever. Whatever that looks like, that's the biggest reason that human error comes into that equation. And yes teaching or your own job is maybe not life and death like flying a plane but i think it is right like yeah. to live a life of 20 30 40 years of just being like yeah i'll just do the minimum i don't really consider that to be a life fully lived and especially when you're impacting kids or teenagers or students who are there to really you have an opportunity to shape their future you know, yeah. to, to have someone like you be their teacher would be a very different experience versus somebody else. And I, like, I don't know about you, but in my 20 years of being in school, there's only maybe three or four teachers that I can recall that actually impacted my life in a really you know, meaningful way. And that's pretty sad. Yeah. And, and I think it is sad. It's the, it's the way the system set up. Like I, I saw many young teachers and I was a young teacher with enthusiasm and it kind of gets beaten out of you over the years. And it's very unfortunate. I think, yeah, but yeah. that's the way it's set up. And, but the cool thing is though, like, I mean, what you do now is teach, right? Just in a different format and a different platform. And I think a lot of the people that we're speaking with, uh, whether they do online coaching or they're building out programs or books, we're all essentially teachers. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to be you know, confined by a, a regimentary or rudimentary type of schooling system to be able to impact people's lives, which is, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think, and for me, you know, obviously, I, or I wouldn't be doing it, but this is so much more rewarding form of teaching because I'm working so much more closely with a lot of these clients. And, you know, when you're saying it's a, for, for some people, it's, it's a life or it, it's not a life or death, but in fact, with some of my clients, you know, when someone comes to you and they're really ill and they can't get out of bed and after you've worked with them, uh, you know, one client comes to mind who, you know, she literally couldn't get out of bed when we started together. And by the end of our three months together, she was planning a camping trip with her family. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, to me, there's nothing can beat that feeling of, of you know, I helped that person get there. Mm -hmm. That's great. What's, um, I totally just lost my train of thought there. Um, oh yeah. So unless you're speaking to a new grad coming out of CSNN, Canadian School of Natural Nutrition for you guys listening, or any other kind of health coaching program, what advice do you give to them if they're starting their business as, you know, they're kind of, they're jumping into this world? What, what words of wisdom would you give to them? Um, 
you know, I, I, it's probably been, I've heard this before, but it is so true is to really be true to who you are as a person. Cause you know, like I was saying that the thing with Ellen, that was, that was the core of who I was as a kid, who I still am today. And I think when you do things that feel aligned with who you really are and, and your personality, they work out. And even if they don't, like I've never regretted anything I've done that I felt passionate about or said yes to that I really wanted to do. What I've actually regretted are the things I passed up because I was too afraid. So be true to who you are and go with those instincts because I believe they won't serve you wrong. And then the other thing is get some business training. <laughs> Um, if I had taken, I don't know if actually business courses would have helped, but, but some kind of business training, you know, I took a lot of online business programs, which I do feel helped me because I knew nothing about this world before. That's awesome. That's great advice. It's a, it's, it's a sad reality that any professional schools don't have any business. I remember when I was in CSNN, the business component was put together a business plan or something along those lines. Yeah. And oh, we did and I, and I think I refused to do it because I actually had a business operating at the time. Uh -huh. I was like, I have a business. I, like, here it is. Anyways, um, <laughs> that, well, there's my rebellious nature, right? So that's kind of why I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I can't work for anyone. Um, exactly. Ricky, this, this, is, this has really been enjoyable so far. Um, we're going to shift to the rapid five before we wrap up here. Are you ready for the rapid five? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. So you've got no idea what these questions are. So whatever comes top of mind is the right answer. Number one, what is your biggest weakness? Hmm. Um, I think it's that I, I'm going to say I overanalyze things. I'm a Libra, so I tend to want to weigh every single option before I make a decision. And I, yeah, that would be it. Very cool. Number two, what is your biggest strength? Um, I think I'm very adaptable. So, um, yeah, I can, I can change and pivot and uh, always try to adapt. Chameleon-like powers. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, what's one skill you've become dangerously good at in order to grow your business? Never stop learning. Awesome. Number four, what do you do first thing in the morning? Uh, first thing when I get up, I do my affirmations and meditate. And then I exercise. And if I have time, I do an infrared sauna, but that doesn't happen every day. Cool. You know, it's funny, like almost every single person we've had on the show has said, I wake up and meditate. Really? Like that's it's. So if you're listening to this, guys, there's a reason <laughs> that successful people are doing this stuff. So, yeah, I just it's a very common trend. It's, it's really interesting. Hmm. Very cool. Uh, and finally, complete the sentence. I know I'm being successful when. I know I'm being su successful when I think there's a, uh, I don't want to say correlation, or there's a combination of my, my passion, what I feel passionate about doing, and being able to actually see that it helps other people. Love it. Awesome. Ricky, thank you so much for being on the show with us and for just, I mean, all the amazing work that you're doing for helping your clients and and shifting focus from baked goods to helping Candida. <laughs> Probably, a, I love baked goods. That's, I mean, I, I live right behind a French bakery, so it's kind of dangerous. Awesome. But uh, I, I just want to acknowledge you for all the amazing work you're doing for, uh, for helping getting your message out to helping your clients. It really does make a difference. So thank you. And thank you for being on the show. 
Oh, it's been a pleasure. What is the best place for our listeners to follow you online? Um, they can go to my site, which is rickyheller.com. And I'm, it's, I'm rickyheller.com, Ricky Heller everywhere. So Facebook, Instagram, all those places. Nice and simple. And we'll be sure to link up to all that in the show notes for you guys. Ricky, once again, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoy this one. So I hope you got a great lesson from that. That is such a powerful strategy. Hey, just follow up. Just keep on going. Who cares what people think, right? If you annoy them, hey, whatever. Anyways, that's a really, really good reminder that persistence usually wins. And the worst case scenario, if you piss somebody off and they don't like you, that's too bad, right? You just move on to somebody else. Now, there is an easier way to get on people's radars, and that easier way is to be in their presence. And if you want to exponentially accelerate your business success, I would say the most important thing you can do is be in the room with the right people. And for that reason, I want to remind you of our annual family gathering called Health Printer Live, which takes place in Scottsdale, September 20th to 23rd, which is only, uh, you know, just over a month away, really. And, you know, the time is now. Again, if you want to be surrounded by 150 awesome, inspiring health coaches, entrepreneurs, practitioners, authors, influencers in the health and fitness space, this is the event to be at. It's 150 people by invitation, by application only. There's no ego. You'll be sitting beside the speakers. They'll be helping you out. They're not like light years ahead in many cases. There are people who are not speaking, who are building six, seven, and eight figure businesses. Everyone is there to share. Everyone is there to connect. Everyone is there to be cool and have a good time. It's a three-day experience unlike anything else. And if you're serious about really getting on the radar in the health industry, this is the event you need to be at. Here's what I want you to do right now. Go to the website, healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash live. On the webpage, there's a button. It's a red button. It says request an invitation. Click on that. The next page will have a couple questions for you to fill out. Fill those in and then submit that page. It will come into our system. We'll review your application and we'll get back to you within one to two days. Time is of the essence. Okay, it's filling up very, very quickly. We're almost two thirds sold out right now. Actually, a little bit more than that. And we have to let the venue know within the next couple weeks. Actually, August 31st is our cutoff to finalize all of our numbers, right? If this is something you've been thinking about, then now's the time to act. If you didn't know about it, well, now you know about it. Check it out, healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash live. The name of the event is Healthpreneur Live. If you're serious about growing your business, if you're serious about taking things to the next level, this is an event you need to be at because you never know who you might connect with. You never know what might happen from this opportunity. So now is your chance, healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash live. Do that now, request your invitation, And I'll see you in the next episode. And hopefully, I'll see you at the event.